You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, Episode 30, broadcast in mid-October 2020. Today, we assemble a distinguished roundtable of Target Book Collection experts to impart their knowledge, an outrageous offer that is no carnival, but more monster, and we protect your Target Books the right way. All set! Hello, uh, Mr. Fraser Hines? Hello, Fraser Hines here. You're on. Welcome back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, the podcast that explores the world of Doctor Who collecting, Doctor Who collectors, protection of your collectibles, and Doctor Who merchandise of all varieties. Happy to present our 30th episode. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who since 1981. I opened the first store dedicated to Doctor Who in Chicago in 1984, and it's called Bundles from Britain. And we are mentioned in a great book that documented the history of Doctor Who in America called Red, White, and Who, the story of Doctor Who in America. This book is very important for everyone to find out what happened here in America from ATV Publishing. And you can find our mention on page 384. And for your convenience, we have a link to buy that book directly on our homepage at DoctorWhoCollectors.com. We were able to reach Fraser on the phone. Not really, but anyway, our theme song is Who's Doctor Who? Composed by Barry Mason and Les Reed, performed by the great Fraser Hines. By the way, he played Jamie McCrimmon in over 117 Doctor Who episodes, the longest-running character. We thank you for your support of this podcast, and you can continue to support us on platforms such as Podbean at DoctorWhoCollectors.Podbean.com. You can also shop for your favorite Doctor Who items on our eBay store, and you can find it at bit.ly backslash dwcpodcast. You can hear this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including the Podbean platform. We are very proud to be a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, and you can see and hear other great Doctor Who podcasts by visiting DoctorWhoPodcastAlliance.org. If you are a Doctor Who podcaster, I would visit that website and add your podcast to the list of these wonderful podcasts. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of our gallery photos will now be streamed through Instagram and can be viewed on our webpage at DoctorWhoCollectors.com. I want to first recommend two other great podcasts. Uh, First, we have the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast, where a random Doctor Who story or book will be discussed, and I was happy to be on the first episode where we talked about the Sunmakers. It's hosted by our good friend Eric Gulbranson. 
Secondly, uh, you need to get in touch with the Target Book Club podcast. They're getting into the Tom Baker era. Genesis of the Daleks is the latest episode as of this taping. And they do a thorough discussion of the Target books in story order, which is interesting to me since they were not written or published in story order. On today's program, we have Collection Protection, our featured story and our featured collectible, and the outrageous offer. First, I want to follow up, though, on our previous episode, the item that you might not be able to get, the Web of Fear Target hardcover prototype. I did get an email from that anonymous eBay seller that was referred to me by Mr. David J. Howe, um, who actually uh, thanked me for not naming him. I don't name people if I can, uh, if I don't have their permission. Uh, but he pulled the auction after second thoughts, uh, but he was going to actually try to help us out by finding the letter that came with the prototype so we can get a definitive date on that collectible. Um, and I will update you with that information when I get it. So we have collection protection and our main story after the break. Hello, fellow time travelers. I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafry. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collector's Podcast. Enjoy your travels. I would like to invite you to take a trip across all of time and space. Join us in the police box as we discuss the worlds of Doctor Who in a completely random order. We discuss it all. TV stories, audio adventures, novels, nonfiction books, and on and on. I'm your host, Eric Branson. I would be very happy if you'd join me for the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud partner of the Video Junkyard podcast and can be found on most major podcast platforms including SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. You are listening to... The Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Sad, really, isn't it? People spend all that time making nice things and other people come along and break them. And now it's time for collection protection. Since we're talking about target book collecting today, I want to make sure we protect those target books as best we can. So the best collection protection supplies come from Bags Unlimited Incorporated. You can find them at bagsunlimited.com or 800-767-2247. For the target books, we recommend the regular paperback sleeve, which is 4 and 7 eighths by 8 inches, 2.5 mil polyethylene with a 1 and 1 half inch flap. This is for long-term archival protection of your Target book paperbacks. They fit without being too snug. They'll keep them from yellowing with age and keep those spines nice and crisp. So collection protection, Bags Unlimited Incorporated. Up there is the scanner. Those are the doors. That is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. And now it's time on the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast for our main story. And today we're doing another Collectors Roundtable, and we have eight distinguished collectors of Target books, as a, that will be our topic today. However, uh, under Gallifreyan law, it is required that whenever I discuss Target books, I have to bring in our resident expert, the host and producer of the Target Book Club podcast, Mr. Tony Witt. Good morning, oh. sir. Good morning to you. Yes, if you didn't, I'd have to send the Sisterhood of Karn after you. 
Absolutely. And, and, and I don't want to go back to that planet if I can avoid it. That's, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mr. Tony Witt has been with us when we discussed the first two seasons of uh, Ellen Wingate Hardbacks and has been a, a great supporter of our podcast. And we as well are big supporters of that podcast. If you're not listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, you should be. And in fact, we expect you to. <laughs> so uh, good morning to you. And then we'll start with our friends from the UK. Uh, David, why don't we start with you? Hi, my name is David Russell. I live uh, in Northampton in England, but as you can tell from the accent, I'm Scottish. Um, I have been a Doctor Who fan since 1978. I can remember back to watching The Stones of Blood and being absolutely terrified when the Ogre killed the people in the tent. Um, that's my earliest memory. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I'm sorry. And Tony, I forgot to ask, when did you start watching Doctor Who? I think everybody knows, but go ahead and... <clears throat> Well, I claim it's 1979. I've been told that that date might be wrong. Oh, <laughs> <It> might be <laughs> earlier. <laughs> but it was the second episode of Ark in Space initially. Ah, okay. And then the last 20 minutes of Terror of the Zygons, because here in the U.S. you could watch it uh, every night at 6 o'clock, or you could watch... The omnibus editions on Sunday, and they showed those out of order. So I don't right. think it was until Genesis of the Daleks, which we're going to be discussing next on the program, that mm. I actually watched it regularly. And hell of a story to watch in its entirety for the first time. Oh, yes, yes. Um, okay, well, thank you so much for that. And we'll go to Nigel. Hi, Larry. Hello, uh, Nigel. Hi, so my name's Nigel Adams. I'm on the uh, southeast coast um, of England, uh, a little seaside town called Broadstairs. Um, I have been a Doctor Who fan since, I'm pretty certain it was part two of Terror of the Zygons. Um, the, the barn scene, I seem to remember. It's quite possible that the memory cheats, um, but basically that's, I've got a very, very clear memory of flicking over, flicking through the channels and finding part two of Terror of the Zygons and being hooked from that point onwards. And that would have been just before my fifth birthday. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I'm a man after my own heart. I started very young as well. Mm. Oh, thank you. Uh, we'll go to Mr. Lee Thompson. We'll start with the father and then go to the son. So good morning, sir. Good morning. I actually wasn't planning on this. I was actually going to stay in the background with my son, and then he said, "Hey, jump on!" Like, um, <laughs> I, I'd have to say back, probably uh, 1975, I think. Um, mm -hmm. The Mutants, double uh, WTTW Channel 11 in Chicago uh, was, you know, yeah, there we go. <laughs> they were the only ones that had Doctor Who, and uh, I lived in Northern Indiana, and we had a, a, a TV antenna. And that's about the only channel that we, we could get out of Chicago, but it was great. You know, you'd have to stay up super late at night to watch it. But um, I just remember as a kid loving it. Oh, yes, yes. I, I, I'll, I'll address that when it comes back around to me. But thank you. That, that's great. Okay, and we'll go, to the, we'll go to Mr. William Thompson next here. Yes, hello. Um, well, hello. I am uh, definitely the odd one out here. Um, I've started Doctor Who with the revival in 2005 mm -hmm. and um, fell in love with the new show and decided that, hey, you know, there's a lot of history to this. So I started going back and rewatching all the old episodes and went, hey, I think I like these a little bit better. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I've kind of been a huge fan of the quote unquote classic doctors and which kind of led into the whole collecting thing. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, next, we have Randy, who's here. Hi there. 
I'm Randy Hollendoner. I'm from Chicago area. Uh, I actually work with Lee's, so we have a little trifecta going with Will, Lee, and ourselves. We'll, <laughs> we'll probably get into that a little little later with how we started collecting our books. Okay. But uh, I, I probably, again, just like with Lee, you know, WTTW in Chicago, sometimes it was 1030 at night, sometimes it was 11 at night. It was either... I think it came on after uh, Monty Python, if I recall. That is right. So it, was, it was a good two-hour, uh, half-hour uh, mix there. So, But I want to say it was probably around 1980-ish when, mm-hmm. uh, when I started getting involved. And honestly, I've been, I've been trying to rack my brain as to which episode. I honestly don't recall, but Tom Baker's been my doctor forever. So it was that era. Um, okay. How, how recent those episodes were. When they came over to Chicago, I don't know, but it was it was around 1980 when uh, when I got into it. Fantastic. Okay, and uh, next we'll do uh, Chris. Hi, um, I'm Chris DeLuca. I've been a Doctor Who fan since the mid '80s. Started watching it on WMYC TV 31 PBS channel from the city. I lived in Queens at the time. It was the, actually the only PBS channel that came in clear that showed Doctor Who, even though there was a few in the area. Um, that channel's way gone, but uh, I got hooked in the mm-hmm. middle of some Tom Baker, Sarah Jane Smith episode, which I'm still not sure which it is. I think somewhere around Mask of Mandragora or somewhere around mm-hmm. there. And okay. been hooked ever since. Fantastic. And finally, uh, Elwithis. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm also from the Chicagoland area, uh, northwest Indiana. So uh, Definitely caught it up, caught up with it on PBS during the weekdays with my dad um, when he'd get home from work. And then on Sunday nights, as I got a little older, I would sneak staying up and putting blankets under my door so my mother couldn't see the light coming through it uh, as I would try to watch those omnibus uh, episodes. I think first episode uh, would have been Terror of the Autons uh, story that I had watched on a Sunday night. Um, that's kind of clear in my head. And I know it was around 1975 when I first started, 75, 76, when I first started watching. So I was about three and a half, four years old at the time. Mm, so, wonderful. Uh, okay. And as for me, I tell this story on the podcast all the time, but I started watching in Chicago in 1975. And I remember the first episode was The Mind of Evil in Full Color. Um, because uh, I, I have this clear memory. I, I made a Keller machine out of Legos. So I remember it that well. And of course, my mother introduced me to the series. She was watching it and said, hey, you love this. Come on, see it. Well, she turned me into a monster. What can I say? So um, that's wonderful. Well, okay. Well, thank you all for being here. And, and we're going to get into some discussion questions here about collecting Target books. And just, um, I know um, I, I'm a former Chicago dealer. I had a store in 1985 and we did stock Target books. And that was the first year that we could get them readily from a New York distributor named Lyle Stewart. Um, but prior to that, it was very difficult to get them here in the United States. So uh, what I'd like to ask is, what was the first Target book you bought, where you bought it, how much did it cost, and what prompted you to choose that particular book? So I'll start, uh, I'll start across the pond here with Nigel. Well, I wonder if, if the answers from the Brits will differ from the Americans. It, because, it will. That's why I wanted to start there. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if David, David will have the same experience as me, which basically um, I, I was bought my first uh, Target book by my mother for Christmas 1976. And probably it was another good five years or so before I actually had any pocket money, uh, you know, an allowance to spend. So for the first five years, I had them bought for me. 
Um, and the first one I had bought for me was Revenge of the Cybermen. Mm. And it was very exciting. I, again, remember it very clearly because I didn't even know there were Doctor Who books um, in those days. Uh, and for the next kind of you know three or four years, um, I was book I was bought a book on a regular basis. Um, had it read to me at bedtime. Uh, I seem to remember second one was Pyramids of Mars. Three Doctors was the third one I had. It all gets a bit vague after that. Um, mm. But yeah, I got very lots of very happy memories of not only kind of watching and loving the series, but yeah, having having the books read to me. Um, and my mum became a big Doctor Who fan as well while she was doing that. Um, and there was a picture I sent Larry um, last week. Yes. Um, I was pleased to be able to take her to the um, the exhibition of Target artwork that was on at the Comic Strip Museum in London a couple of years ago. Um, and Pyramids of Mars, mum has always said is her favourite story. Um, and so I was able to show her the artwork work um, which had been loaned by the current owner at the exhibition so yeah it was a good few years before I bought my first and I couldn't tell you what that was because that's lost in the mist of time but the very first right. one I owned was Revenge of the Cybermen. Yeah, do you know how much approximately it cost to I get th I think 40p 40p 40, okay. 40 British pence yeah and back in that time that's probably a close to a, a dollar in the United mm. States um, mm. I'm trying to do the math but that's that's going to be important because when we come back to the United States the right greatly changes. Uh, David, what about you? So, yeah, similar to Nigel, I do remember that uh, my first book was uh, The Loch Ness Monster, um, probably because I'm Scottish, so I think that's what kind of drew me to it. But also, I think because I was that age, the, the, the cover's like a, a Looney Tunes cartoon cover, um, so I think there was something that was kind of drew, drew me to that as well. But I remember it was on a small bookshop um, in a small island in Scotland and my parents had dragged me away to their holiday home which didn't have a television and I was bored as young as a six-year-old six or seven-year-old would have been and we were taken to this bookshop and they were on the shelf and I demanded that I was bought one because there wasn't even a TV wow. so I needed something to do <laughs> okay absolutely <laughs> so, yeah. And that was, yeah, that's exactly, Nigel is right, 40 pence, so 40 about pence. a dollar. Yeah. That would be the price on the, on the, on the book, absolutely. Uh, we'll start with Tony Witt, You're, you sir. Yes, um, well the very first Target book I got was not bought for me and I didn't buy it because in the United States, Doctor Who tends to, tended to run on PBS stations mm -hmm. and they did what were called pledge drives, they still do. Uh, in which they asked for money, basically the 1970s version of Patreon. And you got, you know, so you got a book if you contributed so much per month. And my parents did that for me. And I ended up getting a twofer. I ended up getting uh, The Horns of Nymon, not exactly the best book to start your collection with, but there you go. And also, um, there were these odd collections that Terrence Sticks did that were Doctor Who and, uh, uh, no, sorry, Canine and Other Mechanical Monsters. Yes, yes. That was the other one. I still have that. It has fallen apart. I don't dare open it because the binding is so awful. <laughs> but all of the rest of them seem to hold together pretty well. The very first book I bought for myself, though, was at a comic shop in Michigan and just happened to see it and begged my parents for it. And it was... Uh, the Mutants. Mm. And this is the weirdest thing. I did not know that there were multiple Doctors until I got that book. Because the only, book, uh, the only stories I had ever seen were the Tom Baker stories. And I'd only seen stories that um, none of the stories referenced multiple Doctors. 
So that was the first time I ever knew that there had been doctors before Tom Baker. Uh, as for how much I paid for that, I think it was $250. Okay. It was $250 because I remember that distinctly. I wanted two books because they had others. And my parents said, no, you can't have $5. You can have $250. So that's how much it was. <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, uh, Mr. Lee Thompson. I'm kind of the anomaly in this group. Okay. Um, I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was 11, okay? Um, but I really didn't get interested in the books. I didn't even really know they were around until Mr. Hollendoner uh, got me involved. Ah. And um, I'm going to let my son explain that one. Okay, go ahead, William. <laughs> well, um... <laughs> My first Target book uh, was actually The Gunfighters. Wow. <laughs> um, because Mr. Randy actually knew that the first Doctor is still one of my favorite Doctors. Ah, there we go. Uh, and he offered to give it to me for free because he had a duplicate. And wow. I was like, cool. I had no idea what a Target book was. And um, my dad brought it home and he and I are looking at it and we're going, holy cow, this looks really cool. And we're going through the pages and we're going, oh my goodness, this sounds like what we've seen before um, with, with, with the, um, the script portions of it. Like, okay, we gotta do some more research. And we're doing more research on how close they are to the scripts, if not the scripts. And it's like, okay, I guess we're invested now. Um, <laughs> so we went through and uh, that was the beginning of this year and now we've kind of gotten most if not all of the original line of Target books so um, it kind of exploded from there <laughs> okay well fantastic I was, I'll let Randy chime in here since you, we've tied the whole three together <laughs> yeah since I'm the one to blame apparently but you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wouldn't necessarily say that COVID was a good thing but you know, you know figured we were at home. What else can I be doing? I want to start reading. Uh, I've been looking at uh, watching the old episodes back from the beginning again, and I found a group of uh, Tom Baker books on eBay. Go figure. Hmm. And maybe I paid about sixteen bucks with shipping for the for the four. Okay, um, that's not bad. But um, but but like, and you know, I work with Lee, so. The whole thing with uh, the gunfighters was the the terror and the blossom of uh, their collection, but they, um, but but like them, I, I I read them and I've gone through I think probably two dozen since March when we started collecting them. <laughs> okay. And I think I'm only for the I think they've they've they're one ahead of me. I think I'm missing evil of the Daleks, and I think that we're mm. both good through the first hundred and fifty six or however many there are. Wow. The artwork too is just, you know, it's great. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Some great artwork uh, from the originals, uh, Chris Achilleos, of course, and then Alistair Pearson later on and other artists have contributed. Uh, Chris DeLuca. Um, I don't know when or which book was my first one because you know, <laughs> after all these years, uh, you know, it's hard to narrow it down just like the first episode I've seen. But back when I started collecting, the only two things that you could easily get was the Target books and Doctor Who magazine. For mm -hmm. some reason, a lot of comic stores had the, the novels. Um, so being a collector before that of comics, cards, etc., you know, I was able to get some of those. Um, also, back then, you could get those in bookstores easily, too, which is, mm -hmm. again, one of the easiest things to get of Doctor Who. Um, but 
at the beginning, since I only knew Tom Baker, I would only get the Tom Baker books. And since they, you know, there were just a lot of Tom Baker episodes, I was actually reading Tom Baker's stories that I hadn't seen yet. So it was actually kind of weird. I didn't know where to place them because, you know, there was no easily gained um, episode guy back then. Right. So it's like I was reading ones with this woman, Romana, who I hadn't seen yet. And you know, I was reading books from before the time I started watching and after. And then I expanded out to other doctors eventually. But it was really the only time in my life that I was reading stories that I had never seen before. And, you know, I, I can't replicate that now. I've seen every episode. Okay. And do you remember how much you paid for that uh, first book? They weren't much. Um, I think they were only like dollar or something, maybe okay. less than two dollars. They, they weren't expensive back then. And then the ones you're getting in the bookstores, whatever that conversion rate that's on the back of every book. Okay. All right. And uh, I'll read this. Um, for me, it was, I, I definitely know it was in 1983 because of a, uh, five doctors uh my buddy kevin who was big into doctor who at the time and i uh his parents took us to walden bookstores in griffith indiana mm -hmm. uh i remember that very clearly because they were doing a big promotional thing for doctor who for the 20th anniversary walked in and they had an 18 foot long scarf hanging up and and going up uh, a raffle to win that and of course i was so excited that i wanted to win this I was certain I was going to, and it took about another 30 years before I got one. Uh, but I do remember the first book I ever bought then was right there. It caught my eye instantly, of course, because it's nice and shiny, mm. was The Five Doctors. Mm. I absolutely had to buy that. And uh, this, this is the original copy that I, that I bought. I have like two more copies, but this is the one that I tore through so many times since then and then of course uh at the same time while not a novel i had to get this that to me was outside of the doctor who celebration by peter haining my bible uh for doctor who at that time as a, as, as a little kid and i mean i tore through it it's it's written in every time i got a vhs uh, tape for a story i marked it off or if i had a nice clean copy off of pbs still i marked that off so i could make sure i got everything possible i could of the stories. So uh, but yeah, this has definitely had a lot of, uh, I've had a lot of strong affection for and cover price. So according to these, they, they were $2.95 okay. a piece, so. Well, I, I for myself, uh, it was 1981. That was the first time I'd ever discovered anything Doctor Who. Uh, my mother was going grocery shopping and said, hey, there's a new comics book store that opened up around the corner. Why don't you go there while I do this? And of course it was a small shop. Uh, it was called the Comic Connection in Morton Grove, Illinois, I remember. And uh, they had mostly comic books, but then on the side wall was a three shelf um, unit that was dedicated to just Doctor Who. They had Doctor Who magazine, they had some Target books, and I thought, wow, this is great. Uh, so I bought a copy of uh, The Day of the Daleks. It was the uh, fifth printing, uh, and it was $4.81 with tax. So I remember it was a little more expensive than uh, than that. And of course, this one does not have a U.S. price on the back. That's uh, a few years before the U.S. distribution was set up and the price was dropped uh, because uh, they had to get these directly from W.H. Allen in London. Um, and the cost of shipping and import tax and duty and all that stuff kind of raised the wholesale price of the book to almost three times the U.K. retail price. 
So it became really tough to, to find at that early stage. By 1983, uh, as uh, Alida said, though, the Lyle Stewart Company in New York started a deal with W.H. Allen to import uh, the Doctor Who books and started printing on the back of the book the, the U.S. price and distributed by Lyle Stewart and all that. Uh, but like right now, the, the original edition here had a U.K. price, an Australian price, a Canadian price, New Zealand, and Malta. That was, I guess, the only places you could get uh, the Target books. Uh, this one is, is special to me because it was the first, my first favorite Dalek story that I saw on television. And it has a glaring typographical error on page 140, which uh, the hardcore collectors will know. They misspelled the word doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled D-O-T-C-O-R. And it took the printing after this, it took the sixth printing before they finally corrected it. So if you have the original First printing, second printing, third printing, they're all misprinted until the next printing. So that was that was my uh, my first book. And this is the actual copy I bought. I was always careful to to read it so I didn't break the spine. The spine has a little bit of a curve in it, but not too bad. Um, okay, so it, you bought your first Target book and you thought, well, this is really cool. So at what point did you decide that this is an area I want to start collecting? So I'll go the opposite here with, uh, I'll start with Randy on this one. So, um, so the first book uh, I didn't mention was, was the Ark in Space. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the first one that I read. And the reason why I read that was because, like I said, I was going through all the old episodes. This episode was coming up next. I don't remember the last time I saw it. I'm going to read it because I don't want to picture the TV episode. So after I read that, I'm like, wow, these TV show wasn't like this. The, the book had, I mean, books are always better than the majority of the time, better than the TV shows. But but I was sucked in. I'm not a fast reader. And even though these books are not long, I, I flew through that. And I'm hmm. like, uh-oh. And I looked and saw, and, and I didn't tell willingly how many there were at the time. But uh, after looking, after reading that first one, I'm like, oh, I wonder how many there are. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I'm in, and just like Will said, I'm invested. Here we go. So thank you, COVID. Not COVID, but uh, I was hooked right from the start. Oh, fantastic. Uh, let's see, I'll go ahead and go to William Thompson. When did you start collect, decide to, when did you begin to collect them? Well, we really started to collect them once we got probably our fifth or sixth book because we were at that point, we were just going on eBay, buying ones uh, from series that we liked. Um, for example, we really liked uh, the very first season of Tom Baker's episodes. So we're like, okay, well, let's try to go get all of those. Um, and then as we were doing that, we we're kind of going, okay, this is kind of cool. And then Randy started showing us a couple more big lots and we're going, Hey, you know, if we partner up, we might be able to get these for a really great price. And now it's kind of become our ritual every Saturday. Um, my dad and I, we literally, we spend the first two hours of the day going through, okay, so this week we've got comic books coming in. We've got target books coming in. Let's go. Let's figure out what else we need. Let's just buy more. And it's become this really fun activity that kind of keeps us going. Well, so we're now it, it's more of a bonding thing, um, which is um, not what we anticipated, but very well appreciated. Okay. Uh, uh, Lee Thompson, uh, is that, is that exactly what you, what exactly what William said here? Oh no, he's lying through. Okay. No, it's been great. Um, I 
sometimes want to strangle Randy because uh, it would have been nice to know what I was getting into. Um, every time we um, we start something, you know, or we we buy a collection with Randy, and there's this other book that just gets thrown in there, and it's like, well, what is this? This isn't one of the original targets. Oh no, it's a pinnacle, or it's a virgin, or it's a missing episode, or there's so many things out there now, and we've gotten to, <laughs> we started collecting all those too. Uh, we're, we've got a huge collection now of Doctor Who stuff. We're, we're doing the magazines. Um, one of the things that Randy's not doing are the, the comic books. So uh, we, we're, we already had a couple of those that we didn't even know we had. We picked up uh, with some other comic books at a, at a Comic-Con thing and uh, found them in a, in a pile of stuff. And so we started doing that. And it, it has been a bonding thing. It's uh, it's something that I always enjoyed as a kid, you know, with Doctor Who. And then I was able to, you know, my daughter and my son both started liking Doctor Who. And now we're taking that to the next level. So I think it's pretty cool. All right, that's great. Uh, Chris? Um, I was always a comic collector. So, you know, I would start a series of comics and want to collect them all, the ones before, all the ones after. So this was similar to that. You know, I started getting a okay. few of the novels and then it's like, Oh, okay. I need to get all of them. And back then, it wasn't as easy as now jumping on eBay. It was right. finding this comic store that had it, this used bookstore that had a pile of them. I remember, like I said, I lived in New York, so I had to drive to Jersey or had my mom drive me to New Jersey when I called up a place and they're like, "Oh yeah, we have a whole bunch of Target novels in there. Let's go there and see which ones I needed." And then eventually, I wanted to get in the entire series. I wasn't particular on the editions or anything. I was just trying to get one of every story that was published. Okay. Uh, Tony? Yeah. Um, I don't actually remember a specific point when I thought I need to have all of these, but I do remember that when I got back into Doctor Who in 1999 and uh, discovered eBay, mm. that's when I decided that I really wanted to complete the collection. And that's actually also when I found out that there were foreign language editions of the books. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really got into some trouble <laughs> when we get to that next question. But um, yeah. yeah, it was around that time that I decided that I needed to get all of them. And then Katrina happened, so I lost some of them, but then managed to get them back because my sister ended up having a lot of them that I did not even know about. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that I still don't have a complete collection. There is one book that I have not been able to get a copy of, probably because I'm just too lazy to. Which is that? And that would be Silver Nemesis. Oh, okay. I'm not quite sure why, <laughs> but it's just not been... There it is. And uh, for, the, for the listeners, David just held up a copy of Silver Nemesis. <laughs> okay. Yes, and I think at one point I thought I might like to try to collect the Blue Spines, Mm -hmm. And then I realized just what an incredible difficulty that is. <laughs> so I, that, mm. that's the point at which I stopped. Okay. Okay. And uh, I'll read this. Um, I collected quite a bit during the 80s. I was a huge comic book fan, still am. Uh, and from that, the same, same idea, like Chris had stated, trying to get the early stuff as, as well as the current stuff and going backwards. I, I did it especially trying to get all those uh, early doctor stories that did not air that I learned had been lost and so on. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that was more my, my reasoning for getting a lot of the target books. And then of course, a few uh, 
all the Tom Bakers and any, any other stories that just uh, jumped at me off the screen that I really wanted a novelization of. But to truly get the entire line didn't happen until maybe about five years ago, okay. mainly because uh, when I had gone away to college, my mother in, in her cleaning sprees one day had tossed a box that she didn't actually go through. She just goes, oh, these are a bunch of old books. And she did know my love of Doctor Who um, and and comic books and all these other things that she would have normally been careful of. But she was just in one of those bad moods of, I'm just cleaning this house. I don't care. And didn't dig into the box to see that underneath some of these other old novels were Doctor Who books. So they ended up going away. Uh, about five years ago, I still had maybe about 20 or so copies of uh, Target books. But about five years ago, I started uh, deciding I really wanted to start um, replenishing it and just getting one copy of every story. I didn't care uh, what kind of, which spine it was or anything like that. I just wanted to get all of them. I was just lucky that like, like the five doctors, some of them I had taken with me to college. Uh, again, because that was like my first book and, and that I loved so much that it always stayed with me. So I got lucky holding on to that. Um, hmm. And it was eBay. It was eBay that I would go through and also um, just friends. Some people I would talk to that, that also had them go, oh, you know what? I think I might have a, an extra copy or, or two of that one. Let me see. And next thing you know, in the mail, I, I, I get a package that shows up from someone in England or, or uh, someone else here in the States. Um, and there's a Target book for me. So it's, it, it's been kind of fun. And I finally, uh, last year, got my final uh, Target book for the actual uh, regular range of, of uh, things completed. Okay. So well, that's fantastic. Now, now we'll go across the pond here. Of course, the Target books were published in the UK and a little easier to obtain uh, if you lived in the UK. So let's start with Nigel. When did you start to begin a, a massive collection? I, well, I guess, I suppose it's, it's that question is when do you go from being a reader to being a collector? Right. I guess from, from the minute I realized there were books to be read, um, I was probably kind of quite invested in it, to be honest. Um, I think what's interesting about those early days is there was, you know, the only way you really got a sense of what else had been published was from that list on the inside of the cover. Yes. yes. So, I mean, I know some very, you know, some very clever people wrote to WH Allen and Target and got, you know, correspondence through that way. But I think for most of us, the only way to tell what had been published was to see what was, what were you were missing from that list. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, there was there was nothing until probably Doctor Who magazine, Doctor Who Weekly as it was, started, I think, to give a bit of coverage to the Target books. And then you got a bit of a sense of when things were coming out. And so you went actively looking for things. So maybe around about 79, probably I started being a, a collector in the true sense. Um, I do remember being very um, annoyed by the fact that I can't remember what came after Hand of Fear. David probably will know. Um, but for some reason, Hand of Fear proved really difficult to get in the UK. And I've since found out from other people on um, Facebook and various groups, it wasn't just me. And eventually, you know, none of the big stores seemed to stock it. Hmm. Um, eventually found it in a very small news agents, you know, holidaying with family. Um, and it probably taken me about six months to find that particular one. Um, hmm. And it's funny, but other people seem to have had exactly that same experience. But yeah, really from the point that I knew they existed, um, I wanted them, but it wasn't that kind of, I wanted them as a collector to put them away and keep them pristine. I wanted to get my hands on them and, you know, either read them or and have read them read to me. Right. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Uh, David? Very similar to Nigel, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think when you're, I mean, I, as I say, I 
got my first book 1978 so I'd be about six or seven so I don't think you really understand the concept of collecting when you're that mm. age you just see them and oh I want that because I love that I've got another one and I think as as Nigel says as well even when I was that age Doctor Who Weekly was coming out Mm-hmm. But you were trying to get a con- an understanding of how big the show was and how long it had been running and how many stories there had been. Because my mum had said to me, oh yeah, it was on in the 1960s. But you didn't, when well, you're that age, 1960s just feels like 300 years before. <laughs> um, so you didn't really understand it. But I just, I began to get to the point that when I bought books, I didn't like to give them up. My fa- and I got that from my mum. She never really gave away books. She never, once she bought them, she didn't like to throw them away. Um, and so I wanted to just, whenever I saw them, just began collecting more and more. And I collected them right through, um, like going to college. I've told this story before on the podcast is mm. on the day that I bought my first apartment, my parents had to go and collect the keys for me because I went to a comic book mart in Glasgow to get my last book. And my father was furious because he couldn't understand why my brain was saying, you've just bought an apartment. <laughs> Wouldn't you be more excited about that? No, I need to go and get the Macro Terra from this guy in, uh, in a big exhibition hall in Glasgow. Well, that, mean, that means you're a collector because that, yeah. that's, the, that, that's the whole thing. Uh, uh, for, for me, uh, of course, in 1985, I opened up a Doctor Who store in Chicago, which was ridiculous of an idea as it was. I did it and we were able to get the books wholesale from New York. So it just made sense that when we placed the order, I thought, well, let's pad the order and we can buy the books from the store at cost. So it, it was a really great way to amass a bunch of books. But then I started getting interested in early editions, which were unheard of in the United States because they didn't start coming over here until uh, the early 80s. But um, somebody told me about a guy who had a comic book store in Chicago. His name was Larry Charette. And he had a place called Larry's Comic Book Store and Annex. And if you ever used to get the Overstreet Comic Price Guide, he always had the ad in the front cover of him in a superhero costume uh, because he knew Stan Lee personally. So they drew him in Marvel style. But I also learned later that if you've ever watched The Simpsons and watched Comic Book Guy, he's one of the inspirations for that character. Uh, the voice is, a Harry, is Harry Shearer's uh, college roommate, but the the actual mannerism is Larry Charette from Chicago because he would stand behind the counter looking all kind of kind of disheveled. And this is not a reading li- a lending library. You need to get buy something or get out, <laughs> that kind of thing. But I but I heard he had first edition Target books. He'd keep them behind the counter. He would not show them to you unless you actually bought one. So I had to go in there with money prepared to buy at least one of them, whichever one he had. And that way he wouldn't yell at me and throw me out of the store. So he would hand them to me. First, I had to show him my money (laughs) and then he would show me the books. And I bought a copy of The Demons, uh, the original artwork, original cover. And I think it was $25, um, which uh, was a lot of money back in uh, 1985. So we had that. And and then we started, uh, then my partner and I actually went down to Larry and we cleaned him out of all of his targets and because he never went to conventions. So we took those to conventions and had a great time with that. And so with with that, if you if you get the bug to start getting early editions, the next question of course is what is the highest price you paid to obtain a target book? And I'll, I'll start in, in England for this one. So I'll start with David here. Um, this is a tough one because 
unlike an awful lot of um, the other people on the, the panel today, I collected an awful lot of mine when they came out. So right, there wasn't right. a large amount of that. However, since, thanks COVID, um, I have been trying to like build up some hard hardback editions that I didn't have. So I think probably the most expensive one would be a copy of, ah, it's here. And for your listeners, it's a copy of, it's a hardback copy of The Edge of Destruction. Mm-hmm. And it cost me £75, which would be about $150, maybe? Yes, that sounds about right. I think I have one up here as well. So, yeah, so that would be the most expensive. But to be perfectly honest, to get the original line, yeah. most, of mine were, yeah. most of mine were reasonable standard price, you know, that you bought that would be couple uh, would be like two pounds maybe three pounds depending on where you were getting them from okay uh nigel highest price you ever paid uh well like david i think i probably got a lot of the original line when they first came out but i i stopped i'd never collected the blue spines Mm -hmm. probably because the point at which they started coming out was the point at which i went to university so i didn't really have anywhere to put them in storage wasn't that impressed by the artwork first of all you know since i've revised that opinion um so i think it was only about seven or eight years ago that i decided i would start adding those to the collection and as someone has previously mentioned yeah some of those are quite rare and quite expensive so probably maybe 25 pounds for a copy of something like the savages the blue spine edition something like that i guess that'd be roughly close to 45 50 dollars in america so yeah okay all right and then on our side of the of the world here uh randy what's the highest price you ever paid for a target book um so i've got probably it was the later the later editions of them uh the the books uh i have a couple of hard books as well but probably no more than 15 20 dollars but I'll, I'll i'll update you when i get the evil of the daleks because i can't see that anywhere on ebay less than like 90 dollars right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay yep that that does happen okay uh, chris chris your highest um, price I, i'm not really sure i'm a very frugal and patient collector um if i want something i'll wait until it's the right price for me so it's not anything where i would go and say okay you know i need this one price is no object so most of them I got were probably slightly over cover price. Uh, and then as since I was collecting since the 80s, I was getting them right off the shelf in Walden Books and Barnes & Noble. So, so hearing things like the Evil of the Daleks and seeing how much those prices are, it, 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 mentally it's like, why is it that much? I bought it off the shelf, but then I bought it off the shelf 25 years ago. So right, yeah, things have right. definitely have changed. So I, I think it helped that I, I got into it early on when nobody was really interested in Doctor Who and I was able to jump on while the train was still moving. Okay, okay. I'll we this? Um, actually, I, I would say I haven't spent that much on, um, on any of them until you, Larry. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I probably, the most I spent was maybe about $15 on a, on a book uh, via eBay uh, until recently when I had mentioned to you guys uh, how I, in the, in the last uh, collector circle, that the one collectibles I would love to get my hands on just, again, it, it's more of a, an emotional connection type thing and nostalgia was uh, I wanted to get the hardcover for Unearthly Child. And of course, because my first book was Five Doctors, the hardcover of Five, Do- Five Doctors. So Larry, 
mm. goes and uh, shoots me a message going, hey, check out eBay. A couple weeks later, they have a Five Doctors hardcover. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, let's check this out. I have to get this. Looked, I got lucky, 50 bucks. Uh, it's, it's not a mint condition, of course, but to me, this is beautiful. Um, so it, it, it was definitely worth it um, to add to my collection. And uh, yeah, that, that's the most expensive I've, I've uh, or the most I've ever paid for a book. I've just been lucky with eBay and again, with other collectors, which I know that's something you want to talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, that, that has been, I think, my saving grace financially, uh, which, by, by the way, Randy, um, we'll need to talk. I, I believe I, I may have at least a second copy of Evil of the Daleks because uh, conversing with John Peel quite a lot, I've, I uh, had gotten a couple extra copies at one point through eBay uh, specifically so I could put one in the mail to him to have signed for me. But just in case it got lost in the mail, I knew I had a backup copy. And uh, I ended up getting quite a few of his uh, Dalek books. So I, I might be able to help you out with that Evil of the Daleks there, sir. Sounds and good. Def- definitely not $90. No, oh, that's I, good. <laughs> I, I could never do that to anybody. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm very, I'm, and you're welcome. I'm glad I was able to help you find five doctors. That's, that's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Tony, uh, highest price you ever paid? Uh, well, and, again, and it might involve the foreign editions, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where I'm going with this because, like David and Nigel, I got most of them at the time they were released and also from uh, bookstores. So, probably the most I ever paid for a single Target book of the original range was for Wheel in Space. And I lucked out there. I got that for $30 on eBay. Uh huh. Of course, that one. I'm losing your audio a little bit, Tony. Yeah, sorry. Is oh, this okay. any better? Yeah, okay. there you go. Okay. Um, Wheel in Space was $30 because it was so rare and still is, apparently. But I lucked out and got that for $30. As far as the foreign language editions go, that's where I've gotten myself in trouble in the past. <laughs> because as I've told the story on the podcast before, I paid $700 for the full set of Japanese books. Okay. And then promptly had to sell them off again to Arnold T. Bloomberg two years later. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, um, that was a boondoggle. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> but, boy. Um, Chris, but I also managed oh, sorry, to get. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tom. No, no, I'm sorry. I was, I was just saying that I probably paid not quite as much for the French editions and the German editions and the Turkish editions and the. And I'm looking across the room to see what it is, and I can't tell what language that is. I think it's, I think it's Norwegian. I'm not sure. Dutch. That's it. But oh, okay. apart from that, yeah. Okay, and I we we already checked with you, Chris, on this, didn't we? Yep, okay, sure. so um, we're on to Mr. Lee Thompson here. Highest price you ever paid for a Target book? I'm gonna let Will answer that one. Okay, Will, go go for it. Yeah. Um. So I found a copy of Silver Nemesis on eBay that I couldn't figure out why it was over fifty dollars until I realized that it was signed by Sylvester McCoy. Ah. <laughs> and he is my second favorite doctor. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went ahead and bought that and then um, realized that there was also another one uh, signed by him that uh, I currently have a bid on, but that's 
now going to 67. So it could change, but right now it's at $50. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I know sometimes that the, the, the higher the value of something to you might even have a higher value um, out there. And of course, you know, the, uh, if you've listened to my podcast in the past, you know, I, I have a big stance against price gouging, which I know many of my friends agree with, you know, people that uh, are not necessarily Doctor Who fans, they go out and they buy, you know, a bunch of Target books for a few bucks and then put them out on Facebook or whatever for a hundred dollars a piece and we're going really <laughs> it's not going to happen um when you uh, i do an outrageous offer at the end of the program and i do have a target book that comes up at 346 dollars in ready condition uh from a seller so i'm like they're not going to sell it but as for me um uh, since uh, since i started doing the podcast of course the podcast is its own entity so the podcast itself has been spending money to acquire things for the show and Technically, while it is a target book, the most expensive target book I've had and probably the most valuable would be the only hardcover edition of a target book that was ever produced as a prototype, um, The Web of Fear. Uh, it comes with a magazine. It was supposed to be a target book collection that um, I talked with David J. Howe and he, he had some insight on it and said that it was, you know, it was in the last episode I did called an item you may not be able to get <laughs> because I don't know how many of these are out there. In fact, I'm only aware of one other copy that's out there and that person contacted me after listening to the episode and, and said he had it on eBay, but he pulled it off of eBay because he wasn't sure exactly how much it was going to go for. But um, we ended up getting, a, I think this for about $800 was the was the cost of this because there aren't any more i mean this is this is it's got the the target i'm just for the listeners i'm showing the the target logo on this here it has a reversible jacket it's got it's it's very unique and um i thought wow we got to have that uh that's probably and, and probably answers my ne the next question to me with the the most valuable book to you it doesn't necessarily have to be the most expensive but it is one of the most valuable books to me uh the other one i'll start with this one too the other one it's not necessarily a target book but um i'm half finnish and this is i believe the only doctor who book that was done in finn <laughs> the cave monsters and in a in a uh hardcover and i don't even i can't even read the price on the back because it's in whatever currency that the Finns used at the time, but it's a, it's a beautiful book. It's not a dust jacket. It's printed directly on the cloth. It's just a beautiful copy. And uh, I actually got this from a relative for about $50. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, okay. So the next, the next question, I'll start, I'll start over in the UK here with David on this one. So what is to you, what is your most valuable target book in your collection? Or to um, you? I think probably, I, I think probably to me is my hardback edition of the 10th planet. Mm, okay. It's probably mine. Um, I picked it up. Um, it's an ex-library edition, but it was a very, very good condition one. Um, and I, I got it for about, I think it was about two pounds, which was, which now if you look at where it's things like that. Um, but there was just something about it. I think it's probably because it was the first time there was a regeneration and some of mm -hmm. that. It just felt really, really, and it just felt, it, and I think it was the first hardback edition that I picked that I bought as well. So that's probably that one. Okay, Nigel? Okay, if we ignore the hardbacks, because we'd be right. here all day. Yes, um, <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> so basically, if it was kind of like a, you know, a Desert Island Discs situation where I, you know, I could, I could save one book from the burning house, 
it would probably be um i have a first edition of doctor and the daleks the very first one mm -hmm. um and i know there was kind of a, a sub part of the previous question about what cost you the least well actually right. um an ex-partner of mine was doing some um summer summer work at the bbc it would have been the early 90s um and apparently came across this pristine mint um, unread first edition of Doctor Who and the Daleks down the back of a filing cabinet. So I don't know if wow. it's the same filing cabinet where the Ice Warriors um, video reels were discovered, um, but basically um, that was that was liberated um, and found its way to me, um, and I've you know treasured it ever since because uh, it is basically it's it's as good as the day it was printed. Uh, so if I had to save one thing, uh, that would be the one. Okay, okay. Uh, we'll go to Chris DeLuca, the most valuable. And you can also throw in the least expensive. I forgot that question, too. Um, I don't know if there's a specific one, but any of those early Tom Baker ones that I started collecting, those probably are the most valuable to me because I remember grabbing some and bringing them on school trips and reading them. So if I pull them off the shelf, you look, you're just looking at the cover. It's like, ah, oh, I remember sitting in the back of the bus reading that one. Um, as for least expensive, I don't know. I've gotten them in all different places, used bookstores for less than a dollar, um, you know, in lots. Sometimes just, I think occasionally we're thrown in with other things I bought. Oh, sure, so yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So okay. there was a lot that I've come across over the years, which weren't that expensive. Okay. Uh, Tony, uh, your, your most valuable book that you have to you and, and the least expensive, if you want to throw Okay. In. They happen to be the same one, in fact. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think I have told this story at Chicago Targets before, but uh, referring to those Japanese editions that I had to get rid of. Uh, my friend, Jenny Ingersoll, who's been a guest on our podcast a couple of times, mm -hmm. uh, visited Japan with her husband a couple of years back. And I said, well, if you ever go to a used bookstore, could you look around and see if they have Doctor Who books? And uh, I'll reimburse you, but don't pay more than $50 for any of them. And she came back and she had a pristine edition of the Japanese version of Doctor Who and the Daleks with the odd TARDIS on the front and mm -hmm. you know, anime character Daleks and all that. And I said, well, how much do I owe you for this? And she said, it's a gift. And I said, why? This is ridiculously expensive. And she said, no, it was only 75 cents. And so she gave it to me as a gift. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And I treasure that because it, I know it's worth more than 75 cents even yes. now, but yes. Oh, fantastic. Uh, let's see. Lee Thompson, William Thompson, who's going to take this one? Um, we're actually going to do our own separate. Okay, um, go ahead. Lee, go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with the evil of the dialects. Um, it was just one of those difficult ones for us to find. And mm -hmm. we just we had a, just had a great time looking for it and finding it. Uh, like Brandy said, he still hasn't gotten his copy yet. Um, so to me, every time I think about, you know, the, what we were talking about, this collecting thing, um, I go back to the evil of dialects. So, okay, okay. Uh, and William? the cheapest one oh, obviously was Randy giving us a free one. You know, uh, the freebie. Yeah, free give, that counts. <laughs> and William. Well, uh, the most valuable uh, to me, uh, we bought this mega lot of um, really bad books. They, they, uh, the pictures were very deceiving, and we're going through it, and we're going. I don't know what we can save out of this. And we got to, um, I think it was the Monsters of Paladon, and we opened up the cover, and it was signed by Terrence Dix. Oh, wow. And it was like, 
oh my goodness, what is this? It's like all of these books have been water damaged and have mold on them. And there's the one pristine book in this whole lot. And it was autographed by Terrence Dix. And I'm like, okay, um, <laughs> that's made up for the whole experience. Uh, so th- that, that was my first um, autographed book, which kind of gave me the bug now to go, hey, let's see. I've got the original. So now let me get the autographed copy of it. Um, but it, that was, it's literally the most valuable book because it was the whole experience of, I don't know what to do with these. Here's the diamond in the rough. Okay. All right. Uh, Randy, you have a, a valuable book in your collection that for you and then maybe the least expensive. Uh... Sure. Yeah. So um, I, I guess this is the reason why uh, I have it is because of that previous slot that Will and Lee talked about because we went together on that lot and, you know, we we're just picking and choosing, picking and choosing. And they gave me a autographed copy of the Loch Ness Monster Pinnacle with Terrence Dix in it. Oh, so okay. that that's that's still one of my my favorites. Uh, it's 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 in its own little area in the in the collection. But uh, as far as story wise goes, um, Doctor Who and the Daleks just it floored me because um, mm-hmm. I I'd read a few of them and you know it's it's you know it, it, it's relatively close to, to the regular storyline, but this is from Ian's perspective and totally did not expect that. And it, it's still one of my favorite stories. Edge of Destruction is another one that's, that's, that's really, it's, the story is really good. Um, as far as the, the, the cheapest books, gosh, I'd have to go back to Will. I think we probably had some in, in those big lots that we probably, I don't even know if we paid a dollar for them. <laughs> Just because we needed them, we we're starting. We're starting early, so let's find the big lots. And and if you don't need them, I need them. So yeah, it was, it was probably maybe a dollar. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll be this. Uh, well, definitely five doctors, as I've stated. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's kind of tied with the fact that I have a uh, copy of Mind of Evil that I had gotten in one of those. Uh, the back of the, the the books that were saying, hey, you know, Lyle Stewart, send us 20 bucks and we will send you this entire big box full of Doctor Who merchandise. Mm. And uh, I got a bunch of the hardbacks in there and I have a pristine copy of Mind of Evil that I never messed with because I already had a paperback version of it. And I got to have that signed just a few years ago by Uncle Terry uh, at Chicago TARDIS. Mm. Um so that definitely, and then tied with that is uh, uh, Dragonfire that I had signed by Sophie because I got to uh, work as the in-between guy to set her up as a guest at a convention in Indianapolis some years back mm-hmm. and ended up becoming very close friends with her after, after that. And we constantly talk all the time. So it, it's kind of neat. So for me, it was like, that was the start of the woman I had a crush on is in, in high school I'm now good. I'm now good friends with, and her and my wife just love to mess with me on that fact, um, because when that happened was also our uh, wedding anniversary, and my wife's wedding anniversary gift was to allow me to spend the weekend with Sophie in Indianapolis, <laughs> showing her around Indianapolis, acting as her uh, assistant at the convention with with autographs and everything, and uh, 
So in a, in a lot of ways that that has some special meaning because my, my wife just loves to keep teasing. And remember that that was because of me right there. <laughs> you, how many women would let you have a friendship with your childhood crush? You know, so Very true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll talk to that just a moment because when I started watching Dr. Here, the first companion ever I saw was Joe Grant and uh, Katie Manning and I have been friends since 1985. Uh, she writes, she actually wrote me this morning. Hey, sweetie, good luck with the podcast this morning. Uh, you know, I'm having a good day. I hate this isolation, that kind of thing. So we, we talk on a regular basis and uh, whenever she comes to Chicago, we spend a lot of time together. So it's, it's a really, she's a, she's a great lady and uh, she would, you know, she loves the fans and Sophie as well. She's a, all you know at least the the folks i've connected with have have been great for the for the fandom let's see uh chris did we get you on this question here yep yeah, uh, okay i'm just making sure making the rounds okay la um next this has also been a, a point of contention depending on you know which side of the aisle you are do you store or display your target books in story order or in publication order and for this particular question i'm going to start with tony witt because his podcast does them in story order so yes that is our shtick Okay. <laughs> that is our one claim to fame. Yes. And that's indeed the way I uh, display them and always have because it doesn't make, to me, and this is probably going to piss somebody off, it's it okay. doesn't make any sense <laughs> to do them in publication order nor in the order of the numbering because yes. that numbering system makes no damn sense at all. No. <laughs> I, I didn't as, include numbering because I didn't even recognize it as a system. <laughs> so it's, it's so yeah, crazy it, because it's not <laughs> right. It's, it, I don't know who came up with that. I think it was random, out. like abominable snowman. Oh. Number one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's the way they're displayed in my room as I'm looking across right now. And that's the way I've always displayed them. Okay. Um, David, how do you display them? And they are in story order. I'm looking at them up on the shelf at the moment, and they're all in story order. As, as you say, Tony, it's completely pointless trying to match them in any other way, in my opinion. Uh, there was always a <laughs> belief that the coding, that the number system was some sort of code to like for Russian spies or something like that in the <laughs> 70s and 80s, because it like made sense to anybody else. <laughs> The Russians are interfering in our target books. <laughs> uh, Nigel, how do you how do you keep them? Story order. Story then, order. Another vote for and, that. And then within that, so actually, where I've got more than one edition, mm -hmm. then they're, then they're kind of chronological, but story order. So yeah. story order, but in chronological in within edition order title, yeah. within the story. Okay. Yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated. Gives you a headache. <laughs> no, no, I kind of get that. Uh, Lee, how do you store them? Remember, we're new to this. So for, for us, you know, we're going by the, the, although the numbering system doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right. uh, we've been going by that just to make sure that we're getting them all. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, Will and I have had this conversation and, and Randy too. Um, I know later on, we're going to do like what you guys are doing is we're going to put them in story order, which makes more sense. Mm -hmm. But uh, for us, we're, we're just trying to make sure that we get them. And so- okay. That's the only way we can do it by the numbers. Okay. Okay. Uh, Chris, how do you how do you keep them? I keep them in story order too. They're uh, all on the my shelf as a backdrop to the action figures, so which are okay. getting in story order too. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I'll read this. Story order, absolutely. Story order. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, uh, William, I assume you're on the same page as uh, Lee here? That is correct, yeah. Okay, and, and Randy, how do you use Dora? Yeah, so there seems to be a trend here for the newer people of the group. Uh, so, yeah, so we've, we've like, willingly, you know, we're trying to keep track of them. We're trying to do them by numeric. I, I, uh, there's, a, there's a Facebook Doctor Who group, which obviously that's how I got onto today's podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I took a picture of after, like, two months, I had, like, 30 books. So I displayed my collection. And <laughs> wow, the conversations that came because they were in numerical order. I'm like, okay, well, I guess you could do it alphabetical. You could do it in story, this and all everything. But, but like Lee was saying though, you know, we're, I'm pretty much happy with the, the collection I've got right now. I don't have the, the newer ones beyond um, oh, Paradise of Death. But, but those at this point, I, I'm, I'm all about the classics. I'm going to put them back in story order going forward so okay so you guys I'm, haven't convinced yeah. me but i was going to do that but okay the question prompted it so it's like yeah why don't i just put them back in that now because i've got, I've got the majority of them now so yeah okay i'm i'm gonna be a lone standalone here i store them in publication order uh and i'll and i'll explain why uh for one thing the target books uh they start off with uh, the block doctor who logo and so all of those are together and then they move to the tom baker logo and those stand all together and some of them have illustrations on the back and then that stops and then some of them have an illustration on the front like the giant robot is tom baker sticking out of the logo and that happens once and so um it, and i don't i don't have a full run i only have the first four years of the show in in actual publication order, I do the same for my hardback. So Auton Invasion's all the way on the left and the other Auton Invasion is somewhere in the middle. So it's, um, that's just a personal preference for me. The majority of people that I've talked to do it in story order. Almost no one does it in numerical order, which is why I didn't even bring it up because I thought, who came up with this system? So, you know, it's like, uh, there's some that have numbers and then you have to go backwards because the numbers weren't printed on all of them, like the early, uh, copies that I have of Day of the Daleks don't have the numbers on them. Um, I also wanted to talk about the, the lowest price I ever paid for a book. And it's not a Target book technically, but when I went into the grocery store, there was a whole stack of these um, in a pile. This is a, it says, I don't know if you can see it, but it says free, take one. It's a sample of the Pinnacle edition of Day of the Daleks. It was a, like half of a chapter on this side. And if you flipped it over, um, it had the Doomsday Weapon. They were trying to promote these. Now, if I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, well, I better just take two because I don't want to take them all. I would have taken the whole thing if I had known that you can get these on eBay for over $100 now. But I, these are the two I, bought, I took from the grocery store. And I thought, wow, I didn't even, of course, didn't know anything about Pinnacle books. I had just bought the Target book, went to meet my mother back at the grocery store, and they're in the checkout line, <laughs> all, the, all the Pinnacles. And I know that there's like eight or nine editions of some of these that came out all the way to 1989. They, they kept doing um, that, uh, that run and uh, they Americanized it. So, uh, so all, the, uh, all the words were changed from uh, boot to trunk or things like they tried to, you know, a torch became flashlight. And so they actually rewrit, rewrote the whole thing. Uh, in Day of the Daleks, they corrected uh, Doctor in their edition, which would not have been corrected in the Target edition. So it was, uh, it was a very interesting way to go. Larry, um, can yes. I just say that the words Pinnacle Book and $100 should never go in the same sentence ever? I, I agree. Um, 
however, th these uh, these free these free little I mean they're real thin. I mean you can kind of see they're they're not very they're like more like a flyer and they're they're actually reversed. I have two of them, but I have them bagged so you can see both additions. But there aren't very many of those around. I've I've even looked and I I haven't seen very many for sale. And when I do, they come out a little bit more expensive. Uh, but I don't think you should pay anything very high for a pinnacle book in any shape or condition. Um, I've got all 10 and I've got the 10 that I bought back in the 80s, uh, but that's about it. And they did very well in the United States. They kind of capitalized on the on the fandom here. When the 80s kind of peaked, that was the time everybody, you know, was great to see them. They were in bookstores, they were in grocery checkouts, they were everywhere, but you couldn't get the Target books at most bookshops right away. They, that came a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, I agree with you on that. On la okay, coming up to the, the next thing here is uh, how do you protect your target books? Do we bag them? Do we leave them open? What's the, uh, what's the consensus here? I'll start with Nigel because I know I helped him out get, get his it's, bags. It's, yeah, um, <laughs> paperbacks, uh, the way I protect them is just trying not to drop them on the rare occasions that I handle them. Because uh, probably with all the editions, I've got something, oh, I guess about 300, 350 odd. So never bothered about bagging those. My, my hardbacks are bagged using the brand that, yes, Larry has recommended that I've put several people onto. Uh, but yeah, so they're in uh, bookcases behind glass doors. Uh, and we just try to be very careful on the occasion. We sort of like pull one out to, to read or take a look at. Okay, uh, David? Yeah, similar to that. I, my hardbacks are um, plastic car and the, the, the bags. I, I took the idea from you, Larry, when you were on. Thank you. Um, but they're also up on shelves. I'm really touched, to be perfectly honest, because I've got, it sounds awful, but I've also got them all kind of like on e-readers and stuff like that. So I tend, if I want to read them, I'll use them on that and actually not touch the books. And they're quite far back. I don't have any direct lights on them because I don't want them to be bleached by lighting or anything. Okay, uh, Chris? Um, yeah, unless it's like a really rare one, I don't keep them in any kind of plastic. They're just sitting on the shelf, you know, again, behind uh, a lot of other collectibles. So they're not gonna be falling off. Okay, uh, Tony? Uh, actually, I'm looking at the uh, bookshelf right now, and I see some of them are in plastic, and I think the only reason they're in plastic bagging is because they came that way from eBay. Ah, Otherwise, gotcha. I don't do anything special to them except only taking them off the shelf when we're doing a podcast on that particular one. Okay, and and uh, just to, just to let everyone know, we we are, the the podcast actually is loaning uh, the Target Book Club podcast two copies of the Junior Doctor Who books, which I know were well bagged when you got them. Yes, so they, are. <laughs> they have not been taken out yet because I, I'm terrified to take them out. You'll be fine. I trust you. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't trust you. So, Thank you. Um, but I know those those books are a little bit hard, and, and I didn't even bring those up. But those books were a little bit more difficult to find in the United States because they were never. Brought over here for distribution. Uh, they were mostly a UK um, thing, and they only did two titles. And um, they did hardcover and paperback editions of those. I have both, but uh, that's uh, the Junior Doctor Who's were scaled down to children five to eight, I believe. Uh, okay, are we this uh, protection? Um, actually, I'm getting ready to order from your uh, touted company uh, for all my paperbacks <laughs> to start putting in. Um, my hardbacks, I do have basically just in a comic bag with backboard uh, to protect those a little bit more. But 
because most most of my paperbacks I've read enough times that while they wouldn't be considered mint, they they are in very good condition because since I was a little kid, most of the time I would barely even open the book to be able to read it. I, I just had this thing about, I don't know, treasuring the book so much uh, that I wanted to keep them in as mint a condition as possible. But then after a while, like like the program guide and the original five doctors, it just got to the point that, yeah, I've read them too many times, I guess you could almost say that they would fall apart. But I don't think you could ever say you've read them too many times. Okay. But yeah, and, I'm planning to do that. And they're on bookshelves out of direct sunlight with, with Doctor Who uh, figures standing in front of them and everything as well. So. Okay. And they do make a bag that fits the hardback very well. It's the jumbo paperback bag uh, that has actually got the, it's uh, SPJ as the, is from Bags Unlimited Incorporated. Uh, they actually fit the book not too snug. I know, I know Nigel uh, was really happy to get a hold of those and uh, David as well. So, I mean, they were, I use them for all the hardbacks. Um, and the you know the paperbacks. So of course, uh, I'm, I've been working with uh, Bags Unlimited since 1981. They've been around for a long time. Uh, let's see, William Lee, any kind of consensus on protection? Yeah, we have all of our books um, in plastic, um, especially given that we like to be able to see the book. So we have them in not a high traffic area, but close to a high traffic area. Mm -hmm. We wanted to kind of cut down on any chance of them being hurt in the future. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Lee, is that uh, your process as well? Yeah, it is for him too. Oh, uh, for him. Okay. Literally our collection is one and the same. One and the same. Okay. That's great. That's great. Uh, Randy, any thoughts there? Well, that's not what Lee says. Well, but anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> I, I have mine in, in plastic as well. Um, but, but I am, I am, if, if I'm reading them, you know, I'll open it up and I'll, and I'll be reading this page like this, and then I'll be reading this page like this because I don't want to mess up the book. But um, but yeah, it's it, it it's just part of the fun with with collecting them. I, I just like to have them in plastic. Oh, absolutely, and uh, you know, I do keep them all in this in those plastic bags from Bags Unlimited. They are the paperback sleeves. They're four and seven eighths by eight, two point five mil poly uh, polyethylene uh, with a with a flap. And I, I like that too, because I can actually, I'll, I'll show the listeners here, I label them and I show exactly what the book is, whether it's autographed, what edition it is, that way I don't have to take it out if I'm looking for a particular copy. Uh, this one, of course, has the notes, the, the misprint on page 140. My next edition, the sixth edition says, uh, typo corrected, because I checked that. Or um, I've got a few that are autographed. My Highlanders is autographed by Jerry Davis and Fraser Hines. So I wanted to make sure that was on there as well. So I know, okay, that's the one I want to, you know, because I've got another one that's not autographed. So it's, it's a nice way if you do want to categorize your, your library, it's great to put them in plastic. The foreign editions, though, are slightly bigger. I also have a Day of the Daleks from, uh, I believe this is the, uh, the Turkish edition. Um, let's see. Yep, Turkish language, 1975. And it's slightly bigger. Than the uh, than the Target book you can kind of see so the the jumbo paperback bags uh, fit those they weren't all quite the same um, that's fantastic and then finally um, if you were to give advice to a brand new collector who's looking to buy Target books you know what kind of advice would you give them and I'll I'll start with Nigel on this one I wouldn't know where to start really I mean it's been such a long time since I started collecting um, obviously that was the days way before eBay. So you've just mm -hmm. got so much, I think the issue now is you've got so much, you've got access to loads and loads of information, which is really good in some ways, but also 
it must be quite terrifying if you imagine if you had nothing at all in your collection and basically the first you went on eBay for the first time and searched for Doctor Who book god where would you start um so yeah. what i would my yeah. advice would really be to someone is just enjoy the ride to be honest um <laughs> and as you one. say i think i think you know hearing from um you know the the guys i i also would sort of like start with some big lots and then sort of like uh, you know you'll just have to kind of refine refine it as you go along but yeah i think i think definitely there are some good bargains to be had out there um if you are if you've got a bit of money to invest in some big lots um but also, you know, I think part of the joy is being able to read them. So I, I guess that whole drip feed of one after the other, being able to kind of savour the book, read the book, move on to another one, um, is something that, you know, really made a big difference to my childhood. Um, so I would just hope that any future collectors would be able to get the same kind of pleasure out of it and not feel they just had to kind of amass a collection in one go because I just don't see the fun in that, really. I agree. It, it takes yeah. years to, yeah. to do this. And I've started, I started in 1980 five collecting and been going ever since and uh, of course that's long before ebay that's mm. uh, long before cell phones and internet and I'm a, I'm a teacher when i explain that to my kids they look at me like really there was such a time <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh david any advice for collectors i think similar to nigel as well as I, I think the big thing is if i was starting out i'd pick up like a copy of the program guide and start and just get a copy of just look for an individual copy of each story don't try to get oh i'd like to have this version of or i'd like to have that publication i think you just need to enjoy the experience and job lots are the way to go for that you might get a few cruddy copies like well you've had but then you find the joy finding something worthwhile but i think if you're looking for a specific version of one you're going to see prices that are going to just scare you to death and you're not going to want to continue with the experience mm -hmm. whereas you can probably find cheaper versions of other public of other publications of it out there and that's what that would be my advice try the job lots as well to just start buy a bundle of books and start from there okay tony well it comes down to pricing um mm -hmm. there's never a book that's ever so worth it that you should beggar yourself that you should never have to pay something that's going to make you have to go without something else. And luckily the target books, just the main range, uh, you can usually get those at some reasonable price. And as David said, if you can't find it now at a reasonable price, you will later, it will come up. It's only when you start getting into the special editions and you get into the foreign language editions that you might run into difficulties. And even then, don't overpay don't pay $700 for a full set of Japanese editions when you can get one for 75 cents from Japan. Yes, yes. Uh, Chris, your advice? Um, I agree with what everybody said. You know, patience is, is very good. You know, wait for the right price, wait for the issues. Also, don't be afraid to get some duplicates that you could trade. So if you get a few big lots, go on to the Facebook groups, say, hey, I got these two books. Does anybody have anything to trade? So you can use that to offset some of the costs of the big lots that you may wind up buying three or four of and getting a handful of duplicates. Okay. Uh, Lee, your advice? Yeah. The, the biggest thing you got to remember with this collecting, it, it's supposed to be fun, you mm -hmm. know, um, and for you to go out and buy a book for, you know, $400 or $500, um, that wouldn't be fun for me. 
but what I what I like what we did was we're you know we're doing it as a group really you know I, right. I've got my son I've got Randy um, and we've been lucky we've we've met a lot of guys like you who really want to promote Doctor Who target books mm-hmm. um, and we, we've got a guy in California that is just amazing that you know we he's he's helped us find some books that we were unable to find and and he's not killing us for cost i mean he's he's like hey i'm just doing this to 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 help you guys get into doctor who more um but just take your time you know look out there but i i really think the best way to get started though is to buy a big group of books Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know there's so many out there that people are trying to get rid of um that's the way to start. You might not get the best, you know, you might get some reader copies and stuff, but at least you'll get an idea of, of what's out there and, and start playing that way. Um, that's, that's my advice anyways. Okay. Uh, I'll leave this. Um, the chase is what I absolutely love. The chase of trying to find the books. Uh, I never really cared about what edition. It was just I wanted one of every story. So I've got a mixture of editions, and it, it, that's never been a big thing for me. I think uh, once that has occurred, I've pretty much pulled back and picked something else to focus on, like I'm trying to collect scripts now. Mm-hmm. But with um, that, I might go, well, you know, this version of, uh, of Genesis of the Daleks I have. I have the pinnacle. Okay, well, I, would, I love that cover from Target. I need to get that now. And then I'll go out and get it. But my, my priority originally was just, I wanted to get one of everything. And then at that point, I might. But I'm, I know some people, they go, they have to have absolutely every edition, every cover version. Um, and they go crazy buying that. And I, that's just not been the big thing for me. Uh, what, what, I'm forgetting exactly what David said, but I was agreeing with what David was saying yes, um, yes. with the whole thing. Uh, Friends, I've made so many friends through Doctor Who and going through the pages and on Facebook. And I've, like I said, I've never really spent that much on them. A lot of it has been helping each other out. Um, I've made some great friendships that way. And for me, it's it's just been the joy and love of the the series. There's so much that are all out there of, of just nastiness, even in, in fandom that I cannot stand uh, that's gotten out there from social media. But there's also so many... Uh, you don't always see it, but so many great people out there that you can become friends with. And um, the Target stuff and, and anything else with Doctor Who has definitely helped where I've made connections with people and just helping each other out, um, getting what one another needs. I mean, I've got friends in the UK getting things for me and vice versa um, of things that might be uh, very rare uh, to get their hands on. So I would say the, those that are into the collecting besides eBay, get into some of the groups like uh, right here, this podcast alone. Um, and on the uh, page, uh, Dr. Who collectors group. That's another one I'm part of. There's the target groups. Um, mm-hmm. And you're going to find a lot of people that they're not out there to, to gouge anyone. They're just like, you know what? I have extra copies, you know, like I'm going to tell you right now, Randy, when I disappeared for a moment, yes, I do have it. So I need you to contact me. <laughs> I'm going, no, what, whatever you want to pay for it. It's, it's yours. I've, I've already got an earmark for you. So just uh, find me through through Larry on, on the Facebook page. Uh, and you see my name right there. Uh, fully, I'm assuming, on Zoom. Uh, get a hold of me and I'll 
get your address so I can get that out to you. But I mean, that's just basically it. Um, that's what other people have done for me. And to me, that's just one of the greatest things about the, the, the fandom is the positivity when you meet people like that. It's just like, you know what, here, I'll help you out. Because that's what people have done for me. So I got to do the same. Oh, that's uh, truer, wise words. Very well spoken. Thank you. Uh, William, your, your thoughts here? Advice? Kind of hard not to give any advice no one else has already given. You guys have okay. great advice for everyone. Um, what, what, what a, basically what it boils down to me is just open your mind. Be mm -hmm. ready to learn. Be ready to engage with other collectors. Just don't go into it thinking that this is a solo project that you can get done in a couple of weeks. Go into it going, hey, I'm going to take as long as I want. I'm going to learn because I've learned more about uh, publishing than I ever knew with any of the other things I collect. Um, so it, it's that experience alone that gives it more value in my eyes. Um, and then of course you also have the connections and just the, f the f coolness factor for me of being able to go, Hey, by the way, do you see my doctor who collection? Um, <laughs> so yeah, but you, everyone here has amazing suggestions and ideas that every new collector should totally, um, listen to. Fantastic. And, uh, I was just going to go to Randy, but he disappeared from the, uh, <laughs> From the Zoom call, I think it got dropped. Uh, we'll we'll bring him back in if he if he jumps back in. I'll I'll throw in my my two cents worth too. Is since I've been um since I've been collecting for you know 35 years, I just figured out here. Um, and when I started doing this podcast, my my goal with this podcast was to educate, illuminate, and point people in the right direction. And I think everybody did a really good job with that. First, I personally want to uh, want to thank uh, Nigel Adams because I've purchased. Target books from this gentleman, and he was wonderful. Um, the books are in great condition. He's always been great with communication. So thank you, sir, for that. You're welcome. And uh, by the way, uh, if you are on the Doctor Who Target book uh, Facebook page, there are lots of collectors that put up reasonable um, prices for uh, you know other editions of Target books. I just saw one up there for reading copies uh, that were a lot. Uh, that you could pick and choose and uh, usually the people are really great about putting in the comments okay this one's taken this one's taken you know message me and we'll work this out and I've never had a bad thing happen through that in fact that's how I met Nigel as a matter of fact we, uh, we started that way and um, I also recommend too the Doctor Who Collectors Club on Facebook is a great way to go um, if you're not aware of uh, the website Abe's Used Books online they are a website that collects used bookstores from all over the world. And they have a large uh, selection of Doctor Who Target books from the really um, reasonable up to the outrageous. And uh, usually when I get those outrageous offers uh, into my inbox, and this week I called out for Target books, I got a good one. <laughs> uh, not not quite the, uh, the million dollar uh, uh, magazine that uh or it was a million dollar new adventure book or something that came out a couple weeks ago but um of course that that listing was deleted about a minute after the podcast aired because i think somebody realized well that's not happening um but that's the kind of i kind of agree with everybody uh his advice okay randy just came back i'm gonna put him back in here and we'll get to him in just a moment so i mean 
back in the early days, of course, it was going to different comic book stores in the Chicago area. There was Moondogs, there was Larry's, there was the Comic Connection. And of course, when I opened up in 85, uh, we were not a physical store. We had a catalog and we got lots of orders for Target books uh, to our P.O. box. And uh, we were spending our Saturdays packing and shipping Target books all over the country because there was not a big, um, you know, supply of those until a little later. And uh, what I thought was interesting is that after the show was canceled in 1989, you could get Target books at every uh, every uh, bookstore uh, that was here, including Walden and other, other you know, Crocs and Bertano's and other places that opened up in the United States. Randy, welcome back. I wanted to get uh, any advice you had for collectors. Yeah, you know, with, with what we've done with Will and Lee, you know, it's, 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 it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yes. How, 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 we've got what, 57 years? I mean, classics, you've got 26, but you know, there's just, just be patient. There's eBay, you're talking about stores. I don't know if you mentioned um, uh, Alien Entertainment out in Lombard, is they still, they've still <laughs> been a source for me. You have Who NA down in, near Indianapolis uh, that has, uh, has some as well, but eBay and then and then you know every, everybody here just just helping everybody out you know, the, the the Facebook page for the Target books you know that that's been a huge influence on me too to to bring to to get more involved with it and then the, the artwork and then just hearing stories from people talking everyone on on, on the other side of the pond just you know, we love hearing the stories you know you guys grew up with it more so than we could I'm jealous. <laughs> I had to stay up at 11 o'clock at night, probably you know, underneath the bed sheets as well, trying to make sure that I wasn't staying awake, uh, not getting yelled at by mom and dad because you had school tomorrow. But uh, but but we were limited. You know, if if we had the access, I'd probably be a lot a lot more. Uh, I'd, I'd probably need a TARDIS to keep everything you know, at this point because I've just been sucking it all in right now. Well, that's fantastic. And I was gonna end my advice with: don't forget to if you if you're in anywhere in the world, you can visit Alien Entertainment. Uh, they are a sponsor of this segment. Uh, and just a quick story, I've told this story many times, but when I opened my shop in 1985, my partner was Gene Smith. And uh, Gene Smith is the president and executive director of Alien Entertainment today. So um, he uh, definitely stayed in, the, he stayed in the business a long time. Uh, we started together back 35 years ago, and uh, he now does the Chicago TARDIS convention, which I would Love to invite everyone to since it's virtual this year and anyone could, uh, you know, it's going to be streamed on their website as well as the Facebook page. And uh, with any luck, uh, I will be presenting my annual collecting panel uh, from right here in the in the Who Room and wonderful Aurora, Illinois. I want to thank all of our distinguished collectors for being here today. Uh, thanks to David Russell, uh, Chris DeLuca, Randy Holdener, Tony Witt, Nigel Adams, Elwethis Pagan, William Thompson, and Lee Thompson, thank you for being on the program today. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. In all my travelings throughout the universe, I have battled against evil, against power-mad conspirators. I should have stayed here. The oldest civilization, decadent, degenerate, and rotten to the core. Power-mad conspirators, Daleks, Sontarans, Cybermen. They're still in the nursery compared to us. Ten million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be really corrupt. Take it easy, Doctor, but it, now it's time for the most outrageous offer. Um, we found a Target book that was for sale on abesbooks.com, or abebooks.com, I should say, 
and it's a copy of Doctor Who and the Carnival of Monsters from the Doctor Who Library. It is a paperback. It says it's in new condition, but it doesn't really give much more information. However, the seller, while only asking $4.95 for shipping, is charging $346.47, which seems a bit high. I believe this book, at the very most, is around $10 in new condition. So um, I'm not going to name it, but the seller is from San Diego, California, and has been a seller since 2008. So we've reached out to the seller to find out why such a high price, and as of this taping, have not heard back. But we will update you if we do. Again, this has been a most outrageous offer. And that concludes the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. We want to thank everyone who participated in the Collectors Roundtable, and we look forward to our next episode. Until then, keep collecting. <laughs>